Episode 122, dated Friday the 18th of September 2009, Narrative and Storytelling in Games, with Daniel Floyd. You're listening to Digital Cowboys. News, reviews, discussions and uncensored opinions on the world of video games. You're a game company. That's why you make Mario. So if they carry on making a new Mario game, a new Zelda game, the stuff that we've come to rely on, that's all well and good. But the one thing they forgot to show in this conference was anything for that demographic. Move to the next section, you shoot all the guys there, you move to the next section. What other shooter doesn't do this? But it's what they do with the AI to make those shooting sections interesting. I mean, One of the achievements is play it for more than 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) When we do an imitation of a Ponzi Brit, do we sound as bad? Yes. yes. <laughs> I am actually sitting here drinking tea as yeah. we're doing this podcast. Is there a trend in the industry you wish you could do away with? Activision. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Tony Atkins. Welcome to the this week we welcome back Daniel Floyd of Talking About These, one of our very favourite guests. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you guys again. We got you on because you're always up for a good old meaty conversation about games, and tonight we're going to be looking at how stories are told through games, uh, narrative, script, etc., uh, and how that's progressed over the years. Now, the show's format has been going through a lot of changes lately, and PAX has been a big event for us this year, although kind of disruptive, and it's, uh, our numbers have gone all over the place because we've um, <laughs> been throwing out shows left, right, and center, and it's difficult to know what, you know, what our fan base is right now. So we're going back to like just a proper focused series of shows, one a week again. Because with the holiday season upon us, we're going to be refocusing on games and talking about them. So Games Club, which we were going to be doing in the middle of the week, is going to be incorporated back into the main show, at least for now. Some of that is the circumstances have changed. Um, you know, time-wise, we're running out of time to do certain stuff, and it's just it makes it easier just to keep it in one show a week at the moment. It, yeah. may, it may change, you know, in the future, but uh, I know we've been messing around saying, yeah, we're going to do uh, a game club and film club. Two shows a week, three still, shows a week. <laughs> film club still is in the works. but it's, Yeah, uh, we, we might do that yeah. later, but there's just so much to do right now, and we want to make sure that we, yeah. you know, give some quality shows before we go back to that. Uh, right, now, we're also going to be talking about, so it's going to be one major release each week in the run-up to Christmas, and we're going to be playing one in-depth, like, for example, this week it's Arkham Asylum, next week it's Rock Band Beatles, uh, the week after that, Halo 3 uh, ODST, ODST. Yep, and, and so on. Uh, and so basically we'll do one game a week in the run-up to Christmas, and the rest of the show we'll be talking about games with an array of special guests. Narrative and storytelling in games. Now, Dan, what can you tell us about a YouTube video called Video Games and Storytelling? I can tell you that it is 10 minutes long. It is probably, I look back on it as kind of my worst video just because it's the first one I did. I hadn't figured out how to do the videos very well yet. But it, if you want all of, if you want this entire podcast summed up into 10 minutes. Hey, 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 I hope you're going to break more ground. That is your video. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's use that as a jumping off point. Yes, uh, he's absolutely right. It's uh, it's it was what you were doing it for your your college um, report, weren't you? Yeah, I was doing it for an art history class that uh, the teacher knew that none of us wanted to be there, so she just said, "Look, you guys just all make a thesis kind of about your major or what you're going into." 
And she actually recommended to me, like, just do something on games. I've had a few people do stuff on games. It's, she, for an art history teacher, she actually knew quite a lot about games. She was just, like, making recommendations to me. I was pretty impressed. But, uh, but yeah, I made that for the class. It was, everyone seemed to enjoy it, and I just kind of kept on making the videos from there. But, uh, yeah. Well, it was, it was great, and I really wish I'd had your teacher when I did, uh, history or, or art. But, no, honestly. <laughs> Anything. So, yeah, um, <laughs> So basically, yeah, it's it's you explaining, um, it's you going through the motions of what video games have done in terms of narrative and why they there have been stumbling blocks along the way and what they might do to actually get better stories into games. So we're going to hopefully explore that in a bit more depth now and and use that as sort of a jumping off point. I really really like it. You may not, you know you may think it's your least favorite video, but it's, it's excellent. So yeah. Funny thing, Everybody... going back, I, I watched it again today. It's uh, because obviously we've seen all the wrestling we know Daniel quite well now. It, you mm. can actually see it is a presentation to uh, you know a student body rather than yeah, being rather just, they talk about the games themselves. But it's an, an interesting take once you've seen wrestling anyway because your style has evolved which is really good okay right and uh, hello to all you uh, listeners of Daniel uh, watchers and fans of Daniel Floyd who have come to this podcast as a result of um, of his his work and actually him recommending us so uh, nice to meet all of you right guys how's it going okay so <laughs> I'm just gonna, what I'm going to do is rather than going we're going to talk about these now <laughs> <laughs> okay our names of this we're talking about these I'm going to throw out some questions, and rather than just going through a list of all these games that have been significant, I'm just going to throw out talking points, and we can just go for, from there. I've, I've prepared nothing in my head aside from just these talking points. So, first one. What have been the most significant steps forward in storytelling in video games over the past three decades? I think most of the big uh, steps forward have mostly been kind of hardware-related, because early on, uh, games weren't really able to tell stories of any kind because they just weren't powerful enough to show anything or create context at all you could it's like the uh, just the example of pong really it's just a few white blocks of various sizes and really if you didn't know the title of the game you might not even know for sure what you were doing or what you were playing mm. and then eventually that kind of evolved as hardware gets better and better eventually we start seeing like, iconic characters show up like mario and sonic and those other ones who you can who you can actually recognize on screen and it, you can sort of see a face there and and the stories they're telling may not be that fantastic or amazing or they may just all be kind of weird but at least they're telling it's a lot more complex than just the old pong stuff yeah when did text-based adventures first start coming around i'm going to look them up while you're talking i'm not sure i think it i think it was pretty close to the same time not long after pong and those other ones started uh popping up maybe maybe before no the, the funny thing is, uh, reading that question beforehand, I, I was thinking that, I was thinking, right, it, does it all come really down to graphics? You know, are graphics the main medium of actually telling a story? And it, it got me thinking back at what old games really had me kind of enthralled in the story. But it, it's hard to actually have that cutter point of saying, well, graphics at this point were good enough, you know, as, in my opinion, to, you know, able to tell a story rather than just the, the pong graphics. But I mean, if you sit down and think something like, um, I don't know, like, Monkey Island, which is, you know, although it's, it's still quite a flat, foodie plane stuff, it, it told a rather funny story along with, like, Grand Feng Dango, and, uh, mm. but then would you say to someone we got to Final Fantasy VII that, you know, that really does fall into world graphics have got that good in the, uh, the PlayStation era? Like, um, yeah. They've got to have been some really good SNES based storytelling games, surely. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there are a lot of Grand people who Trigger? think Secret of Maggot, Secret of Maggot, yeah. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of people who thought the stories were better back in the yeah in the SNES days with Final Fantasy VI and stuff like that. And it's I don't want to say that like game storytelling has evolved only because of graphics, but looking at games, the tools they have to tell the story. We have interactivity, which we've always had. 
But other than that, we've also had audio-visual capabilities. And early on with games, we had very, very limited audio-visual capabilities, which severely limited the kinds of stories we were able to tell. And since those are those are kind of two of our really big storytelling tools, so as those have evolved, as those have evolved further and further, it's kind of removed more and more limitations for game designers in telling a story. There are a lot of stories they're telling now that would not have been possible early on, even in the I, NES days. I definitely agree with that because you know we are at a point now where I mean, although we're not photorealistic graphic type situation, you know, we can tell a person's face is emoting in a certain way. Something with the you know the next gen consoles and, and PC gaming, so it, it's a to a degree, it's almost as uh, competent as a proper kind of just what a TV telling or you know just a normal kind of 2D uh, film telling. Um, we, we maybe haven't got quite the uh, the uh, the emotion within the character's face, although we're, we're trying desperately something like Heavy Rain. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think you know, graphics have come to a point now. Where I think you know they're not necessarily the the, the stumbling blocks that actually prevent us from telling a good story. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look back at uh, Resident Evil on the PlayStation 1 now, it looks terrible now. They, they, they You can't get any kind of emotions out of their faces apart from the most basic yeah, caveman then. emotions. Yeah, I suppose that was then quite immersive. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so you, you have to look at it in, in terms of stages and what people were used to. But um, they... <laughs> You mentioned in the in your the YouTube video that um, they've not run parallel with movies at all in terms of that, that you know you go to the, that you there's a really good example you go to the video store you pick out ten films which have got a really good plot um, and that that'll take you no time at all but you pick out ten video games from the the game store that's going to take you a long time to find yeah. ten really good ones of comparable plot. So, um, I mean, it's they're, they're dragging behind uh, movies, they're dragging behind um, literature, and they're dragging TV. behind um, yeah, TV and, and, and graphic novels. So why? I mean, wh- wh- why are they so absolutely basic still? I mean, it's been 30 years on, they're using the most cutting-edge technology. Why are they still... Why are the scripts still so incredibly leaden? Why, I mean, people are still... People are acting in Batman Arkham Asylum still not quite as well as they acted in the animated series sometimes. And that was back in 1992. <laughs> yeah, I, I th- can think of a few main reasons for why games are still just kind of seem so far behind all these other media. And I think the main reason is that with the, most of those other media, writers have had either decades or centuries to, of experience with that medium and how to use the strengths of each one of those media to, to, tell, the story, to tell a story with them. Hmm. Like, uh, and we've only started that process with games. I know we're 30 years in, but, I mean, even film, even with film, like early cinema, they didn't re- hadn't really developed a language for film early on. They basically mm. set a camera in one place and filmed a stage play, because, I mean, that's about all they could figure out to do with it. Yeah. And eventually they started figuring out the director, they realized that the director has a real has, has a real job here. He has all kinds of power. He can move the camera around. He can decide what the audience looks at. He can, and it just started, and slowly they built more and more from there, and just uh, and cinema became but, an art on its own. But don't you think we have we go into game development with the pre-knowledge of a lot of this stuff. I mean, it, it, they are two very different mediums, and no doubt we'll cover that in a second anyway, but you know, it's, it's not like game developers have, have gnawed the evolution of um, film and TV and all this other literature around them and then into the game industry from the, you know, the bottom up. That's true, that's true. I mean, it, and it's, again, like cinema, they started out with the language of theatre to, st- to begin with and started yeah. slowly developing and learning what cinema could do with it. And like that, we are starting with the languages of, of we've had, I don't know, I think film is kind of the closest thing you can compare 
video games to in most cases. We've started with the language of film, and we're working with that. But video games add a new element, the one of interactivity. And mm. that's and that's one that we are still – I think that's the element we are still learning how to use effectively, I, that we're still learning how, how can we use this with storytelling. So I think that's what we're still sort of figuring out how to do. And I, I mean, it's not like the only reason I think that we're still inferior. I think we, I think games, it doesn't help that games still aren't quite taken quite as universally seriously as other media yet. So I don't think we attract quite as much writing talent as a lot of the other industries do. And, hmm. and besides which, I mean, the gamer market routinely spends more money on games with poor writing anyway. So the market isn't really motivated to improve in that way. So I, mean, I think there's a bunch of little reasons like that. But I think the main big one is that we're just still kind of figuring out how to tell stories really well with this media. Yeah. Regarding interactivity, I think one of the um, the major stumbling blocks there is the there is a balance you have to achieve when making a game between what the and this can go into many other debates as well, but, uh, but uh, what the game director and what the game developers want you to see and want you to do and want the path to be in the game and what you want to do. So, I mean, you you know, there might be a really good camera angle that you can look at a particular scene from, but if you can actually adjust the camera, you might be looking at someone's shoe when someone's given a really emotive speech, like, so for example, <laughs> Half-Life 2. If you actually, if you're given that option, you could really screw up the mise-en-scene of Half-Life 2, basically, if you're viewing it as <laughs> yeah. a movie. But, you know, running around hitting computers with crowbars, with people going, Gordon, you must join the resistance. There are people dying out there. You just stop but, doing that, please. I wish they would react to you sometimes when you're being an arse. <laughs> it would just but, be more realistic. Go, go interactivity, I think, is <laughs> really the one thing I think that has completely kind of derailed us onto good story. And it, I think there's a difference between presentation of a game uh, story and the actual story within the game. Um, but I think when it comes to stories within games, I think writers ha- are having a hell of a, a hard time actually coming up with something where you can deviate from the path. Um, I think it's been a, a big, big problem because, bear in mind, it's not like the game industry hasn't tried this. They've brought in professional story writers. Um, some very big names from Hollywood have attempted this. But what gets them every single time is the fact that there is multi-branching of different paths. And even if there is a very strict set story where you're just going to kind of, I don't know, wander through the world and beat you know, so-and-so up and, and just get through the, to the end of it. As Alex says, there's certain stuff that, stuff that you can actually do that kind of mucks up with that. And because, well, if you look at film, it, a story is, let's say your average film is 90 minutes long and they have that long to tell you the story and you're completely focused on that one thing. They can add tiny little details here, there, and it will actually kind of bring you into the experience a lot more. The problem we have with games is that we actually like, quite like to play this stuff. So although they can you know, preach to us there a little bit of story here there, ultimately it's still going to be broken up in massive sections with us either you know, going on a rampage and, and killing people or in, in the loosest of terms maybe driving a car. So I think you know, interactivity really does have a, a place to actually, you know, it, it just breaks up what we'd normally consider the normal route of storytelling. Mm. It's also um, because it's a, it's it's, a, it's an interactive medium. You, when you are forced to become passive, like so the main problem people have with, with Metal Gear Solid is always play a bit of the game, then you sit back and start watching the movies, and then it's it's not like you're playing a game anymore. You are watching a film which has bits of game in in it. It's 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 almost ridiculous. You may as well just bring your joypad to the cinema and then watch a yeah twenty hour film and occasionally <laughs> sneak under a tank and hide. And then wait for the next bit of film to turn up because it's 
It's, they have, no one has re, oh, hang on, that's, that's a sweeping statement. It is really hard to marry up the passive and the interactive ways of getting that particular game to you and getting it into your hands, getting it into your head. And, and also because, uh, as Tony said, most films are, uh, you know, at 90 minutes, two hours long. It's almost like when you're playing a game all the way through, you're watching an entire TV series, you know, all the way through. So it's, uh, you're going to get much more character development there. Or, in the case of most games, much more repetitive fighting. I don't know, I don't know why there's so much fighting and beating the shit out of folks <laughs> in games. If you think about it as, as an interactive entertainment medium, it's, maybe we should actually be, I'm not saying that we should, but if we did just divert away from the carnage just a bit, and as much as I love Left 4 Dead, um, and make it more about actually story, then... But that, that's the stuff is coming. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just, um, it's, it's possibly why we haven't been able to make this into a, like, yeah, as respected a medium, because there's just so much killing. But a, a perfect example of this, surely, is Heavy Rain. Yeah. You know, that, that game focuses on the story, and it wants to tell you a story in a very cinematic way. Um, and the fact that you do stuff within this environment, so a lot of it is like, well, are you going to tell your kid to do his homework or not? It's, I mean, all that is actually building the story in the background rather than, you know, the, the kind of the normal kind of, if we said, the, the killing stuff. Everything that seems to be happening that day is actually creating the story around you. Yeah. It can be done, but I, like Andrew said, it's, it's taken so long, I think, for the developers to really, you know, grasp how to actually get that into it. And Daniel, can you think of any ways that we can actually push the story? idea forward i don't know the interactivity just is i think the main reason is what's making it so difficult for writers to figure out what to do with games it seems you kind of have to strike the appropriate balance between interactivity and and uh, player freedom just in every story you want to create just uh, either limit their control just like a in a metal gear game and just kind of take over and force them okay watch this now uh for a little while or just do a more Grand Theft Auto type thing where you just free. Well, I guess that's not even that free. They still stop you for a cutscene now and then. Just some other kind of game that just yeah. frees you in a world and allows you, like maybe in an Oblivion or an Elder Scrolls type game or something that uh, just allows you to go and just explore the world and kind of find it all at your own pace. Well, even in Half Life Two, when there's a, like a specific bit of story going on, you you get locked in a room while someone's talking. It's not like you get that much freedom. That's true. That's and there's uh, I, I can't think of many other uh, possibly World of Warcraft uh, where you you know you're in the middle of a story section that's unfolding while someone's talking to you. You just go, well, I'm, I've had enough of this, and you just abandon the quest and run away. That's probably one of the only ones where you actually have true freedom. I'm I'm not too sure taking away uh, or taking away freedom is necessarily the best here. Good stories should be good stories. So, you know, if there's a fantastic story being laid out in front of me, then I, I as a player, should be engaged enough not to actually want to look at my feet for 20 seconds. I should be engaged within that experience. And the idea that uh, reading a book is a, essentially a fairly linear task, you just go straight through it, is not necessarily in any way negative. It's like, there's no freedom with this book, I can't just jump to the last page and read that and then go back in the middle. But if you structured a game like that, it would be so guided, you'd be may as well be play, playing Virtual Cop or something. Although yeah. I, know, I know that you know, Paul would probably really like that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just take you by the hand, take you through the game, there you go, that's what you got there. But aren't games trying to attempt something different? I mean, a, a prime example to hear surely would be something like Bioshock or even actually Batman Arkham Asylum recently, where although you're doing the, the interactive part of the video game, it's feeding you stories with the little collectibles that you can you know, choose to actually collect. And it's not all about, you know, there's an odd one, two cuts in there, but there's so much story to be had upon the player's, I kind of, I, I guess, kind of own participation if they wish to actually dig that deep. 
There's an yeah. interesting way to actually do it drip feed them for a, a you know story. That's true, actually, and, and you can basically you you do have to hunt for um, the 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 depth and the you can actually you know, just look through your inventory to actually get some, some a lot more texture to the characters, most of whom don't even appear in the game, um, but just uh, are notified and that, that in some way you can get more out of the world from from digging deeper. Um, swear I, think right. uh, no, I think you're right in saying that uh, that I mean that that we say like taking freedom away from the players. And stuff like that, as if it's really is a bad thing. But I think there really is kind of a pro and con to the amount of writer control that they the, that the uh, that they have over the story. I mean, ne- inherently giving some control to the player means taking away some from the storyteller, which one would could say kind of might weaken the story. But but also giving some control to the player and making it interactive also kind of allows a level of immersion into the story and uh, sort of allows the player to feel a personal connection with it in a way that I don't think a lot of other media can do. And mm. I think that's one area that's, just for whatever faults his stories may have, I think that's one thing Kojima is especially, has become especially good at. He does, I mean, he does turn his games into movies which you play parts of, and yet there are certain key moments where he uses interactivity to really, really mm-hmm. suck you in and really make you care about what's going on right now and make you feel a part of it in a way. Mm. So... Yeah. No. Um. Another thing that would really be much more engaging for a character is um just basically seeing them do more mundane things uh, more often. I mean, one of the reasons why Pixar films are so fantastic uh, is because they mix the fantastical with the mundane. And you see, you see, Mister Incredible in The Incredibles, basically, you know, stuck in a crammy little office and being, you know, harassed by his boss. And I think um, one of the thing, the 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 secrets of David Cage's um, the, the reason that he gets mentioned every single time people talk about story and games in the past few years they go oh Indigo Prophecy and of course Heavy Rain and Heavy Rain doesn't even come out yet and everyone's going oh it's this pioneering you know storytelling device it could be rubbish we don't know but the the point is that he actually uh, with Indigo Prophecy brings in the mundane for you to actually do because if all you're doing is seeing a dude who's like wearing shining armor and killing folks or running around with a gun and shooting folks um it's there's there's a disconnect there you can't really un- unless any of you guys sort of ride around on horseback killing folks all the time there's, there's a certain amount of yourself which you have to kind of imprint on the character and the more mundane things you see done in hopefully an interesting and entertaining way because otherwise it's just going to get boring um, the more I think we'll we'll feel a bit more immersed in in what the character's going through, and I think character immersion is and again one of the main stumbling blocks for um, for storytelling because right. so many characters are just so one dimensional. They, they turn up, and they go, hey, I, you know, I've got this gun, and but they're a space marine. <laughs> but that isn't that also saying that you know, in that respect, we want all films to be literally masterpieces. You know, quite frankly, yes, you know. Yeah, quite frankly, you know, <laughs> as much as I, I don't uh, like Transformers 2, it did fairly well at uh, box office, and you know, uh, plenty of blockbusters, which are pretty much just escapism escape pieces, mm. do fine, and you know, I think that goes to the same with, um, with games. You can have okay, a guy well, just running around shooting tens of thousands of people, and you know, that's all that person wants to sit down. I think what upsets me is, un- unlike the film industry, where there is a thriving kind of indie film scene out there yeah. that somebody really wants to dig into deep and have something different from, from that experience. That seems to be lacking massively within the games. It seems to be very, very, you know, I'd say almost say kind of a 90-10 split in the mm-hmm. direction of big budget kind of Hollywood action uh, films rather than you know, these small indie games. 
I think the indie games on Xbox Live and that kind of the, the PSN games, they're giving us arcade hits, which is great, and they're giving us sort of, you know, punches and blasters and, and, and platformers and, and braid. But uh, I think that's actually a perfect platform to do something which is a bit more of a storytelling game and it doesn't require massive, incredible graphics and maybe is a bit more, almost like a text-based adventure, but they could actually do something clever with it. And I think that's that's a, a portion of the market that's kind of missing. I'm sure there's, there's probably a thriving PC market for this kind of thing, but that's not hitting the mainstream at all. You know, to, to get people to actually see... I mean, there, there needs to be things like Fox Searchlight, the equivalent, uh, but uh, but on Xbox, you know? So there's a reason why a lot of uh, indie films do a lot better because they get coverage and they get you know promoted by a bigger studio who's who's handling these smaller titles as well as the larger games. Well, hang on, uh, let's let's cover some of the games then. Let's have just a few examples where you think some games have actually pioneered you know, yeah. the push the push off stories rather than just you know talk about you know this lofty height of how we want better stories in games. Yeah, okay. Um, let's get uh, guests first. Daniel, go for it. <laughs> All right. And I think it's uh, in the uh, notes you'd sent us beforehand, you'd, uh, spe- you'd kind of specified which do you think have the best stories and which have the best scripts, which I think is a good distinction to make because I yeah. think there are several stories, out, games with stories out there that at their core, the story is pretty darn good, but whether it's from a, just for whatever reason, the dialogue is, is, is yeah. just a problem. It's, just, it's not written well, but you can tell it's really good underneath. I would I'd classify games like a lot of the Final Fantasy games, I think, have had good stories at their core, yeah. but just localization issues, voice acting, whatever. They just have had issues. You got a problem with Tidus? I, I, <laughs> I've been kind of... I've been looking through some of the old Final Fantasy X cutscenes again, and it's just now that I've had time for kind of just the newness of the game to wear off, it really is... It really is hard to watch. You can tell Square was struggling to get the, just struggling to get localization working. But with, I don't know, with Final Fantasy XII, I feel like they really found, they really hit their stride. I'm hoping that XIII is going to follow the, uh, just going to follow that one's example. I mean, I'd also classify the Metal Gear games as games that have a great story, and then, but then when it comes to a lot of the dialogue and just, it just all needs an editor. <laughs> yes, yes, war, war is something that we all have to live with. And then, like a 14-minute sentence, you know, talking about how war is terrible. And then, as I said before, look at this gun, look at the slide and the revolver, and no. But then the emotional impact at the very core of it, certainly in some of the end scenes, such as Metal Gear Solid 3, yeah, beat yes. almost anything out there. Absolutely, yeah. Metal Gear 3 specifically. I actually really like the Metal Gear 3 storyline. If they could pare that down into a two-hour movie, that would be brilliant. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the actual cutscene movie that there is on the uh, subsistence disc is four hours long. Because he needs a damn editor, but um, <laughs> yeah, and then Metal Gear Solid Four. There was yeah, when you got to the end of that game, no spoilers here, but there's there's an end, and then you're like, oh, that was quite a good ending, and then there's another end which is not as good, and there's another ending which is terrible. And you're like, no, you could have stopped it. Stop, stop. It's not even like Return of the King where it's like great ending and then another really nice ending and then something else that's also really nice. Uh, it's, yeah, it's that like, last bad ending was like an hour and a half long too. Oh really. God. Uh, He's I'm just flailing pure, about the place. I'm just pure dialogue. <laughs> Fuck they, they could have they could have summed it up in ten minutes, but no. yeah. I don't know. But, but I mean, there are plenty yeah. of other games out there that I think do well on kind of both fronts: good story, or at least it may not be like an amazing story, but it's at least a really interesting setting. Good dialogue; it's enjoyable. I think a lot of I think pretty much most games Tim Schafer has made have all kind of yep have been that way. Just really fun settings, fun dialogue, fun stories. I'd say other games like. Uh, Portal is obviously another great example of a 
I just think Borat probably has pound for pound the best script ever in a video game. I think game. it might. Because I it's just, I mean, you could actually read the script on like one page. It's just a series of things Glados says, but every single line is golden. It and really perfectly is. sets the scene. That, yeah, that game is really a shining example right there of just fantastic writing in a game. Yeah. I think, I think there are other games that, I mean, a lot of people may not necessarily look to like the Grand Theft Auto games and saying what a great dialogue, what great stories, what performances, but... Especially not San Andreas. That drove me crazy. <laughs> uh, Straight out of the company, yeah. But still, I mean, I find, like, for the kind of story it is, just for the kind of a gangster movie sort of thing in which you are in which you are the lead character, I think it works really well. I mean, we've, and we've had other... We've had Bioshocks, we've had our Shadow of the Colossus, our uh, God of War. I think even World of Warcraft, to an extent, I'd say, has pretty... You don't have to look at it, but I think there's a pretty good. I think there's a the abiding storyline is great, yeah. but if you actually read the words and listen to how the, the few sound bites are delivered, it is quite clearly going no. out of its way to be the most pretentious kind of. Oh yes, the well, shadow of a loop. There's a ton of law there, but oh. most of the law there is actually written, <laughs> and written within a book form, so it's, it's yeah. not necessarily you know the actual delivered dialogue is a bit overblown. That's but another that's one of those games where you, if you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, you can get more and more story, but they don't exactly, force it down yeah. your throat, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there, I got to... And we have fun ones like Uncharted, too, which are just kind oh, of... Oh, that's, yeah, also fantastically... That was not just a good script, but such a well-delivered script, and that's more to yeah. do with acting. Well, yeah. And that's the difference, yeah, that's something where gaming is really only just about coming, you know, into the forefront, you know, this emotion engine that we've got with the PlayStation 2. I think it's, it's starting to pay off somewhat with... The, you know what the I think we were, we were waiting for? No, the North. It's that simple. <laughs> he brought along <laughs> acting to video games. He, he, he shows David Hayter where it's at. Awesome. I've, got, I've got two different levels of story. One, one story I love, and it is more just the fact that it's a continuation of a trilogy. I, I still really enjoy the Halo story. Um, mm-hmm. Once again, completely overblown and too convolute. The, you know, the shit out of that story. But I, I think, you know, a continuation of a, you know, this big grand world that they made, I think it's a really quite an interesting one. Um, but the ones that actually blow me away, unless these massive storylines, something like Halo, it's, um, it's the smaller ones. I mean, I was blown away by the story in, in Flower, which there is, there yeah. is no dialogue in that game. It's all done visually through the screen. Um, you know, you're, you're a petal just breaking out, you know, well, <laughs> how do you describe this? Or you're a petal that, you know, is going from a, you know, a field and, you know, eventually you make it to the city and kind of a, you know, rehabilitating the city to actually, you know, be greener again rather than just, you know, this carbon filled, horrible place. And I think, you know, that tells a story about even uttering a single piece of dialogue. And I think stuff like that really gives me um, hope for the future of games. You know, the interactivity part of it is actually doing the work than, you know, the script itself. Uh, which reminds me of stuff like Ico, which never had any dialogue. It was just all about, you know, dragging... Now, is it Yarda, isn't it? Yoda. Uh, Yoda. Yoda. You said Yoda before, but uh, exactly. Yoda, Yoda, Yarda. Exactly. You know, and she basically <laughs> delivers a lot of story. You know, time you get to the end of that game, I don't want to spoil it, but, you know, she uses the story itself, although she doesn't have to speak any dialogue. Did you finish uh, Ico? I did, yeah. Oh, well then. I'm still no further on Colossus. <laughs> oh, good examples though I like them yeah. yeah and then you can get something uh, as, as pretentious as you want but I love the, the fact that it's it's so pretentious and it, it causes arguments amongst right. The right right you know, right 
it's, it's got a fairly simple, uh, that's what you think is a fairly simple storyline, and then it does a, a portal, and you time it gets to the end, it's, it's completely something different than what you actually expected it to be. Now, pretentious, I agree, but the fact that it actually tries something different within this medium, and it's a small little game taking risks, I think that's a fantastic um, you know, a, well, a fantastic ability to do so. So, um, yeah, I think they're the stories that give me hope. These little games are actually pushing, you know, narrative forward, even if they're not actually you know, on on. They are on-screen storytelling, but it's not done through dialogue. And I think you know, this is the ability of games to actually do this. And Half-Life, I think, is probably the closest we've come to the kind of having a bit of both worlds of script and also, you know, some sort of a. Um, a a narrative done through the actual camera work because obviously you don't speak as, as Gordon Freeman but they do a lot of stuff where they're kind of referencing you doing stuff outside of your body and I think that's, that's a very hard trick to pull off but we haven't got that yet I don't think at all I also um, there's a relatively untapped market which uh, we've just been party to uh, which is non-fiction actually telling a real story especially in uh, untapped games which would not normally be used to tell stories Music rhythm action ones, maybe? <laughs> oh, Beatles. Beatles Rock Band. I knew about the Beatles, but Beatles Rock Band really told the story in a very visual, very easy-to-understand way, but also it, it, it was very cinematic, and it actually emotionally engaged me. There were times when I was playing the songs, and the actual that what I was seeing on the screen kind of emotionally overwhelmed me, and there was times I had to pause it to collect myself and then carry on singing. Guitar, it's fine, but if you're actually singing, your voice cracks. And that only happened to me a couple of times, but uh, it was just that I did not expect from a music with a action game. <laughs> so, um, I mean, ultimately, it's very rare that you get non-fiction in, in a game, I suppose, possibly, except for World War II games, but it's, it's something that could be explored. Storytelling doesn't necessarily have to be fiction. Um, we don't see a lot of non-fiction in games, not of them. Right. What might pave the way for better game narratives and storytelling? I think and the uh, biggest thing is to just... I think a lot of the issues is just kind of the established development pipeline for games. They've, I mean, we've kind of refined the process of making games for a long time, but really write, like including a writer in there has not been something that we did until somewhat recently. So I think, we're, they've, I think uh, game studios have had to try to figure out a way to rework just their process to include a writer just as early as possible. Yeah. I think it, so and I think they've been working on that and we have a actual game writers conference now started by uh, Susan O'Connor who's kind of one of the forefront people in the video game writing industry right now. And so I, I expect to see this it's probably already kind of happening a lot. I expect it's going to keep on happening. But uh but yeah, I'd say obviously studios probably know this, but I mean if you want a story-centric game, you pull in a writer from day 1 so they can fix all the so they can fix story problems before they happen, and also no more non-writers writing the story. Up until now, we've had a lot of just kind of the game designers write the story. They establish what the story is going to be. They may bring a writer on board to try to have them fix up dialogue later on, but they pretty much write a story from the beginning. And the problem with that is because most game designers are nerds like we game players are, and we nerds tend to have a pretty narrow range of inspiration. We, we're fantasy and sci-fi, which is basically what our game shelves are covered with. And when... <laughs> And so they keep on feeding into this closed system, and the same cliches keep popping up. We keep yeah. getting bullet Space time, Marines. Bar- barbarians, and uh, just all the same, the same sort of stuff. So, but uh, but yeah, get get writers in, get them in early, let them work, let them work, let them work, just let, let them actually kind of iterate and refine the story once it's in the system. I've read 
I've read stories from writers who say they weren't pretty much everything in games is iterative. Everything is tested over and over and refined and fixed, and they you play through it and you see how it's going, and then you fix this up and refine it, but not with the story. Apparently, a lot of times the story, they get it in there, it's done, and really the first time they'll even hear the dialogue is when they unwrap their copy of the game, play it, they see the problems, and they can't fix it anymore. It's already, it's too late. So just, yeah, it's just refining the pipeline and then uh, continuing to experiment and it's like try to include more and more variety in the sto- kind of stories we tell. And hopefully story-heavy, kind of story-heavy games will start selling well. I, it, maybe it's just me. It feels like story-heavy games are starting to become, just are starting to sell a little better. Mm. It might just be me. I just I, I feel like, like I have renewed faith now after seeing all the hype that's building up for Brutal Legend and uh, and uh, the Bio and uh, Bioshock Twos and the all these other games that are kind of a little more story heavy. Mm. It's just I don't know, it's given me renewed faith. That's well, a, good. Okay. Tony, as a, as a part of that, I think is the industry themselves. I think you know they're not all people that just want to make you know the, the same generic crap over and over again. I think there's a hell of a lot of Bigger producers out there looking, you know, know that they need to make money, but know maybe if they put the pub, you know, the um, the power of the publisher and the advertising behind certain games, so such as Brutal Legend, you know, EA have really grabbed that game and put a ton of money. Now whether it's going to work is obviously we we've yet to see, um, but uh, it it gives me faith that you know somebody will do that, and the fact that uh, 2K has actually taken the time to say you know Bioshock 2 wasn't ready for release this year and actually pushed it back way till next year because they said that you know it just it wasn't up to the standards of what the original Bioshock means that you know they are taking these games seriously, but to jump back on to bringing like um, <laughs> writers into these these games early on, I remember a, a classic example I heard with Gears of War 2 where the story for that game is pretty much set down in stone right from the very start. They know where they wanted to go there, and they got a professional writer to come in and, and do it. I, I can't remember who it was, but I believe it was another woman. Very, uh, uh, I think it was Susan O'Connor, the yeah. woman I mentioned earlier. She's, uh-huh. yeah. Um, and then what actually happened, close to the end of production, they realized they were going to have to cut one of the levels. Just due to the fact that you know they didn't have time to, one to finish it, and you know it it didn't, it didn't necessarily actually work so well within the context of the gameplay. Unfortunately, what happened there is a big chunk of the story was also removed from it because this is where the, you know this section of the story, and they had to do a whole load of rejigging to kind of move that section of the story into somewhere else, which meant they lost a whole other section. So just the developing of games themselves, even something as big as Gears of War 2, which you'd think would have a massive, you know production time on it, well, has a fairly big production time and plenty of money being thrown in it and all that stuff would be set. Even at the last minute, a story can be you know, the thing that is just lost through the game because the game development itself, where levels are lost right up to the final you know, two months of development. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just an unfortunate side of the medium, but I, I do think you know, really maybe that was the case of they were over, kind of overpacking their, their basket somewhat of uh, ideas and really should have seen that they weren't going to have enough time to get all that stuff out. And actually, simply right, it needs to be, you know, the story needs to be half an hour less. I think that uh, I could have probably have taken about half an hour less of Gears of War 2 as it was. <laughs> uh, I just sneaking around dressed as locusts, I could probably leave that. So uh, I'm quite glad they cut it out. But um, one thing I think is very significant is that we have, until fairly recently, not been expecting too much of, say, the summer of blockbuster movies in terms of story. We're expecting big spectacle, very little of intelligence. Mm-hmm. So when we had last year, we had The Dark Knight and, uh, you know, Wall-E and Hellboy 2, all like practically in the space of a few weeks of each other. 
it was like this cornucopia of excellent, incredibly visual movies, but that that were really exciting, but also were really smart and really, you know, took you to, to interesting new psychological places, unheard of in blockbusters most of the time. And um, I think basically that that means that the, the, the film is now beginning to mature to the point where we can get big films that are also quite cerebrally engaging, or at least exciting in not a completely dumb way. Now, games. I kind of getting there already. I'm thinking Mass Effect here because you, you've got that's a huge story and it's Actually, also yeah, really true. So um, we're, we're maybe not as far behind as we might think. However, what paves the way in films is the smaller films, as we've already said. So I think exploring new avenues in a or capacity that's not actually going to completely and utterly bankrupt a company who are you know paying millions and millions of dollars for this game. Maybe the smaller, maybe some just just sort of in the next evolution of a text-based adventure or some sort of adventure game that's not necessarily from Telltale, although Telltale are fantastic. If some other people would maybe do something, I mean the DS is perfect for it because you know you could just handle dialogue trees with ease with with the with the pointer. So. I think that's where we're going to see more stories. If, if people are going to actually maybe take a chance on smaller games rather than the big ones. I mean, it's a big problem because, I mean, as Daniel Flood says in his presentation, story games aren't, you know, don't necessarily sell because of their stories. They might sell because of all this other stuff, but it's probably not the story that's selling that game to your average Joe Bloggs who's going out to buy it. And I, I think when you look at the example of, you know, Psychonauts being uh, published by Majesco and it failing and almost putting Majesco out of business because they took a risk on a game that was basically story-driven, um, you know, it, it's very, very hard. What actually gives me hope is, looking at this year's kind of big, you know, winter blockbusters as, you know, they are within the gaming industry, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, I'm pretty sure, because Call of Duty 1 had a or Call of Duty 4 had a pretty interesting storyline in itself in the single player and so I, I expect the, you know, the sequel to that will be quite an interesting storyline in itself I know Halo ODST haven't seen a lot of stuff about it is trying a whole different uh, story approach all these tiny little bits of piece of narrative a story that's happened across this city and you're figuring out what's actually happened as an overall arc so it, it, it's almost different you know the big blockbuster games are the ones that this year, the Brutal Legend, look like they're going to be the ones delivering the story as well as these small little games such as Flower. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? I'm hoping that because in film we do have the uh, we do have the indie scene, which kind of drives kind of drives forward the artistic aspect of films, and in t- at times when the mainstream may may lag behind and just focus on spectacle, I'm I'm kind of hoping that indie game development continues to grow and expand to be able to fill that same sort of role. I know it's kind of harder now, just that amount of man hours and just money and just games, I think, can be are a lot harder for the, an indie scene to really go with. But, but I mean, I would love seeing smaller games, like portal-sized games, trying, mm. to push th- trying to push things forward. Portals, Flowers, those type games really pushing things forward and kind of developing a market that has a taste that that really wants great stories in their games. Like right now, I think we're, I mean, again, like I said in the video, I think we're kind of starved for great stories in our games. So whenever we do get a game that has a pretty passable story or it's a decent story compared to everything else, we treat it like this is the best thing ever. This is a cinema. (laughs) This is fantastic. This is better than any other story ever written at any other time. And we, we're not, we're just not very demanding. So I think if the market becomes a little more, we develop a taste for good stories in our games. We, Start really asking for it, then, then I think the market will supply us with that. 
and I'd, and I'd love to see stories just coming from a wider variety of places. I mean, I know we get we do get some great stories from our standard fantasy sci-fi settings. We've had some we've had some great games and stories come out of that and saving the world and the universe and all that. It's it, I mean, we had some fun, but I'd really love to have some memorable stories coming from just more unique places. It seems like a lot of a lot of the really memorable story games we've had have come from a unique type setting, a of the Bioshocks and the. Uh, and going into Greek mythology for God of War, going into wherever the hell we went for Psychonauts, and and <laughs> into the mind, yeah. yeah, into the mind for Psychonauts, going into heavy metal album covers for Brutal Legend, just, just <laughs> these are completely just stuff that you don't think of. It's not the first thing to jump into your mind, but just these are turn out being some really cool settings with great potential for a story. And I'd I'd love to see more uh, just artists inside the game industry, just think of innovative story settings like that. So I, and I, I think we will start seeing more and more as time goes on. So yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic. As am I. The, oh, of one final thing from me. The, um, anybody thinking about marginalizing how important writers are, look at last year's uh, summer blockbusters, as I said before, Dark Knight, Hellboy 2, Kung Fu Panda, which was also awesome, Iron Man, and um, Harry Potter should have been out Christmas, shouldn't it? So, yeah. Okay. Um, and now look at this year's summer blockbusters, Transformers 2, G.I. Joe, just this shower of bastards. The difference being pre-writer's strike, post-writer's strike. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. These films were rushed out, and they're shit. The only good one this year, uh, Watchmen I liked, and uh, Star Trek. I mean, we, we saw Terminator Salvation on the plane. It's average at best. Mm-hmm. Average. Yeah. Wolverine was just absolute oh, oh. shambling mess. <laughs> We're going backwards. <laughs> so this is why writers getting to the point that they actually were in Hollywood, uh, you know, made made for this sort of perfect storm in in 2008. Where 2010 will be, I don't know, but they've got a lot of time to make up for because we've yeah, had. Kind some- ba- that's kind of backtracking a bit. I just I like I was just been thinking about your thought earlier about including kind of the mundane and setting yeah, things off, yeah. just the way that Indigo Prophecy did. It just it cr- just it creates a nice dynamic. Like I don't think in games we get a lot of energy dynamic. We kind of we don't have like times of kind of calmness and just just average kind of relaxing time before the storm begins to really offset and really add some importance and weight to when oh oh man shit has hit the fan. We're in, things are bad now. Not usually handled in an entertaining way. You get dumped yeah. in the middle of the citadel and told, "Oh, go find your way around." You're like, "Oh my god, I don't know what to do like, here." But you, you never get all like, of our yeah. All okay. of our games are basically crank. <laughs> basically, yeah. just starts. Yeah. I mean, which is fun. I, I mean, I like crank, but but I, I would be interested seeing in ways that just uh just to include this a kind of energy dynamic throughout the game and that kind of flow. So yeah, so yeah that was backtracking a long way. I've just been thinking about that's it. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Reading um, Edge and the, there's an interview David Cage in that. It, he actually brings up a really good point is that, you know, that I think the difference with Heavy Rain is it's a complete new experience within itself because we haven't really had a game like this but, you know, where it is doing the mundane will actually affect some of the storyline and there is action scenes in there, of course. But there's a hell of a lot of just, you know, tinkering about in your house and exploring and, and doing the stuff before you're heading off and that is adventure games I get. Don't take the pills and drink the beer, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, what, what he was basically saying was that um, 
you know, it's easy to pitch a even even a good story. It's easy to pitch in a first-person shooter. It's easy to pitch in this big action game. It's because you know publishers want to know that they're going to have some sort of return investment on on you know these properties, and that to you know him as a uh, a developer going up to a publisher and saying, look, you know, I want to try something that's never been tried before. Alarm bells go up and they say, well, no, you can't do this because we don't know whether we're going to have the uh, you know the the money being returned from from this and it's taken someone like you know and well done to sony for actually standing there and saying okay you know we'll publish this game you know we'll fund a big chunk of this game and we'll take a risk because if it does pay off then it pays off in massive dividends you know it's it's they were the first ones if it doesn't pay off of course they're left with a huge bill at the end and that will be really sad so i think that all all three of us all we're asking is you know just try something different and you know you've got to take risks for this industry to move forward of which it does you know in incremental little little parts you have to take risks in both gameplay mechanics and storytelling and all these other things you know sound design all this stuff has to come together but it does seem like you know graphics and sound design and you know gameplay have been jumping forward in leaps and bounds while story is the one thing that's been left kind of dangling there in the background and now we're having to kick and it's kicking and screaming because it's so far left behind it you know it's scared to be left in you know in, in the distance for eternity which i really hope not because if films have told us anything it's that really good driven story films are the ones that actually emotionally get you and touch you rather than just yeah that was an, uh, an entertaining 90 minutes yeah. prince caspian hancock forgot about those two <laughs> <laughs> so there we go Okay. Uh, you know, I have to say, I have to say something about the creeper and shouting. I know you think you're doing it with ironic distance. I don't think it's possible to shout free word and maintain an ironic distance from the joke. At the end of the day, you're still just the guy who's shouting free bird. Do you know what I mean? No offense. No. Unless you're, unless you're really asking for free bird, that would be the only way. Okay, Tony, competition time. Right, we have two competitions that are actually going to be running this week, and uh, a lot of this stuff is kind of falling over from the, the pack stuff. We're not giving away the big packs bundles quite yet. You're probably going to have to wait until the next week for that. I think we should eke those out and give out the prizes piecemeal rather than to one lucky person who's going to be like, I don't know uh, what to do with yeah. this. Like, who, who wants my darkest of days code? Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, because it's shit. Right, anyway, it's the competition time. Right, so, two fairly easy competitions for you to actually participate in. One is a purely, uh, right, the first 15 people, and these are all separate people, to post a comment on the website, wins themselves a PAX Avatar t-shirt. Now, it doesn't matter whether you've received one before or not, there's the first 15 different people to actually put on the website, I will, because our system logs their emails, addresses, I will then send them, a PAX Avatar t-shirt code because quite frankly female and male or female uh, yep, no, yep. female and male I have 15 remaining PAX has been and gone I'm not trying to get rid of these for any reason other reason. I, I don't <laughs> I don't want to throw them in the bin because you know free stuff free Avatar awesome yeah. so 15 people that post on the, the website each and every single one of you will receive a PAX code so it'll be very useful for PAX 2109 in uh, 99 years time when uh, you know you could just beat the crowds so it says PAX 09 <laughs> so it can be on this post um, talking about some of the stuff that we've talked about this evening or it can be on any of the other posts because we can keep track of what goes up there anyway so that's your first competition now the second competition is for a 
actually quite a cool little prize, and I'm, I'm actually downloading at the moment. It's for a Mag beta code on the PS3. Mag? Mag. Mag? Massive the Massive Action Game. game. God, they get upset if we call it Massive Action Game, yeah, so we so mustn't call it Massive Action Game, okay, Tony? Okay, Massive Action Game Mag. Um, which, of course, is the 264-player action game, Massive Action Game. Yeah, anyway, the, it's the Massive one, but it's also it's action-packed, and it's got game-like qualities. So, obviously, you need a PS3 to, to play this game. So Sorry, 360 and Wii lovers. But also, uh, you need to know how to start an American account if you're in well, the Well, I'm going to get there. Right, oh. so we, have, we only have two codes to give away. Now, there's a, a possibility in the future that we're going to have a few more and a big grand giveaway that we're doing over the cross-promotion and PN. Thanks to Steve Bartlett. Thank yep. you, Steve. Um, but if you'd like to win these codes, it's actually fairly simple. All you need to do is send a friend's request to us on the PlayStation Network to both Alex and myself. And now our IDs are Ghost World, and that's all one word, no spaces, and Stan's underscore Labyrinth. Stan, like from South Park, and then and then well, Labyrinth. That's a fantastic <laughs> name. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> we'll put them up in the, uh, the show notes, and uh, quite possibly I might actually get them up into the side of the website as well to show some love to our PlayStation fans. The only problem we have with this is that you'll need an American PSN ID to access the download itself. Uh, once you've done that, you can actually play it on the UK account, no problem. So that's actually easy enough to do. So people within the UK, just go online, Google it. You can easily find a way to set up an American PSN account. I've done so myself. I'm downloading it now. And get this, and this is one of those things that make you go, that's Sony. The actual download itself is 320 megs. So the actual application itself, 320 megs, not a problem. The patch for Mag, Massive Action Game, is two and a half gigs. So um, That's massive damage to your hard drive. <laughs> so it may actually take a, a few hours to actually get the patch. And uh, if you're like me, and yes, it is the first night that this has gone live, uh, it's actually failed twice about a gig in, and it has to restart over again. So thank you very much, Sony, for that. But um, I've got it. Alex should have it. And uh, if you are the lucky winners, we will tell you over the forthcoming week, we'll let everyone know by the end of the week anyway on the, on the next show, then uh, hopefully you can play some massive action game uh, with Alex and me. I'm looking at the beta code right now. The first digit is zero. Well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there are your two things. Where do you guys so, get the beta codes from? Uh, uh, out of curiosity. Oh, Patrick. Oh, nice. Yes. I can just cheat and go friend you guys right now. Yeah, you can. Apparently, <laughs> we have one to give away. Uh, one... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can uh, locate you on our, is it the first? System. Is it the first two people who do it, or are you just picking them at no, random? No, it's going to be two people at random. So, I mean, yes, this is the cynical way to actually have more friends on both Alex's and my friend list. But so more friends frankly, than just the two of us. Quite frankly, I only have about half a dozen on there, and I want to give love to the PlayStation a bit more than I do, and a lot of that will be the fact that, you know, I want to play with the fans that we have uh, actually on that console itself. So I have plenty of room, so please send us one. And if you want an avatar code, Get on the website, do some posting, just uh, and that's a cynical way to say, please check out the beautiful website because it's a very very nice website. So that's your competition for this week, and next week there will be more wonderful pack swag being given away. Additional ladies who like the Beatles, email me uh, at uh, digitalcowboys at googlemail.com and ask for a uh, Beatles rock band avatar T-shirt because I have. One, two, three, four, five still to give away just for the ladies because all the men's ones got t- taken. Right, let's move on. Okay. 
We're going to uh, bid farewell to Dan now for 45 minutes because we're going to be talking just about Batman Arkham Asylum, but he will be back at the very, very end after the spoilers. And there will be a spoiler section, as I said, but we will give fair warning on it. You get some music, uh, and it's just basically talking about the stuff at the end of the game and stuff that we don't want to spoil for you, plot-wise. Okay, so this is Batman. And uh, for for those who aren't going to listen to this, I just want to say thank you very much now to you, Dan, for coming on the show. It has been awesome having you on once again. Absolutely. Thank you. talk about Batman Arkham Asylum what a game <laughs> can we just get this out of the way straight away I love this game I also really 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 like this game <laughs> no, it, it's not flawless like some people really not without it. reservations without reservations but I just want just so we can get an idea of where we're coming from with this game straight away is that you know I think it is a really really good game it, and we're getting to maybe a bit later why I feel like some of it is spoiled by little things but straight off I, I think it's a very very solid game yeah um, it's been a long time since I got something like this Certainly in the comic book vein, I was not impressed with Wolverine. Now, did I mention, but I don't think I ever talked about the fact that when I rented Wolverine, there was a bit when I broke through some boards and a plank followed me around for the rest of the level. <laughs> that plank loved me. It was stuck to my back, and I just thought, yeah, but that, that's some great work there from the people who bought you the regenerating vest. Look, so I, I don't rate that Wolverine gang. It's, <laughs> it's not a patch on this. I don't want to spoil your thing, but I actually had a plank stick halfway through me in this game and follow me. Ooh, but okay, right. So the best of break off in this. I'll just back sleeping, whatever. Right, so um, I but think what's the need... best we can really compare this to in, in terms of comic book game? <laughs> right, it's using the Unreal Engine, isn't it? So it's everything looks massive and beefy and and really sort of it bristles, and you can see the muscular structure and everything. Yes, it looks shiny, and yet when I first started playing it, it did feel very much like Gears of War, even down to the fact that when you're talking on the your 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 com link, you stop and start walking along with your finger to your ear. Um, but I think it's Batman has never been rendered in such um, detail. I think on a game, and um, it's it, it shows up all the other uh, superhero games, and really you know, shows you what you're, what you're capable of doing in terms of uh, graphics, which then lead to the atmosphere, which it, this game is absolutely dripping with. Yeah, I mean. The, yeah, the important things to say about the graphics is it's actually creates a world for Batman, mm. um, and so few games actually do that themselves. Mm. Um, many people have described this as the is a very very similar to the game to Bioshock, and you know what? They're pretty spot on. Um, what Bioshock did so well was actually you know even with that was it the Unreal Engine. I don't think so. I'll check that while you. Um, but what Bioshock did it, it set up this world. It was this you know this world that had previously been occupied by people and has turned into utter chaos and it did that very very well and Batman is, chaos somewhere, so. Batman does that <laughs> almost to the, the same degree also stuff that it shares very similar in is that obviously it has these you know the audio tapes that you can pick up along the way to actually tell you know break down the story um, its main structure of different hub areas it shares you know pretty much 
in conjunction with uh, Bioshock as well. So, but if you're going to crib from any game, Bioshock's not a bad game to actually take uh, some of your uh, more solid ideas from. Especially if they're both using the Unreal Engine, you're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it, but uh, you know, the, the graphics themselves, you know, are they the best I've ever seen? I tell you what, they're up there with on a Batman the game, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, with any game though, I, I think you know what graphics are there to to set a scene. It's not just to wow you; it's it's there to you know bring you into his world. And yeah, if if I can say the the biggest positive from that is that I believe that every single time that I was actually within a Batman universe, mm. which is you know, say what you want about Wolverine, it never really brought you into his Wolverine uh, universe. It was just an area you're running through as a character chopping off limbs. It never felt like necessarily a Wolverine universe. Well, the problem um, with Wolverine was always that he was he's so very closely linked with the X-Men, and especially in most people's minds, that when you take him away from that and you look at his, just his solo stuff, it's uh, it's a very different, much darker world, and, it, and thus it becomes really difficult. That's what I found with the Wolverine movie. It becomes difficult to marry that up with what we perceive Wolverine to be. And even if you're a massive fan of the comics, it has to be handled just right, like the Wolverine movie wasn't. But, I mean, it, the reason I bring up the Rock City Games and, and Urban Chaos, there's somewhat of a, um, uh, an untested developer, I'd say. I mean, Urban Chaos, I think it was a, a reasonable game, but, you know, nothing on the, the scale of this. And Eidos, I mean, recent hits, I mean, obviously Kane and Lynch goes down as one of those big controversial games with what happened on the whole Gersman game stuff. Um, you know, of recent time, more like Just Calls and, you know, Battle Stations. But, you know, they, they have been a triple A AAA developer of, of, of some games, but of recent, they've been kind of just that middling range kind of publisher, a bit like Midway. God rest their soul. Idus as well, you know, there was this big scandal about Idus saying you had to give us 90% if you got on so you can get an early release on the cover. All that stuff, I think, has to be put behind us now because, quite frankly, Batman sells, it, sells itself because they've managed to produce a fantastic game. And the reason I bring up Idus as a thing, you can tell that they have put pretty much every single penny they had remaining left in the bank into this game and I think this is a massive massive release for them and I think the, you know, the fact that it's already done very well in the charts is a real positive thing for them because it shows that if you put money into a decent product and it doesn't just have to be a cheap cash in movie game that it looks like you know the world of word of mouth and great review scores can actually you know be beneficial rather than just going quick buck hello Wolverine welcome to the, the party and bear in mind this doesn't follow a film or this follows a film but a good long time so when was Dark Knight Dark Knight was last what July yeah so you know it, it has no real ties to that. I mean, the story itself has no real ties it's a complete separate product and I think that has been nothing but a benefit for this game as well it's you know it's had time to be developed into whatever it, it needed to be um, and it wasn't, you know, hamstrung by having to be something with the film. It was its own little story, and they've obviously, it's it's led them time to actually develop something from the ground up, and actually fits the Batman universe rather than just trying to shovel something from a film into it. Just I like I said last year when Iron Man came out, wouldn't it have been good if they just yep. done an Iron Man game that was nothing to do with the film? And yes, it would have been. And it takes balls to actually do it. So I just want to shout out to for them really to say well done for actually taking that yep. that massive step for a company that isn't you know flush with cash and can't really take too many risks i think they they took a massive risk of this and it looks like it's going to pay off for them but um one of the reasons that is storyline yeah i mean you you're you're a fairly big batman fan and i know you follow the animated series as well as some of the uh the graphic novels not necessarily the comic books mm. how uh, does, what does it really compare to well what you're asking is is how does it compare to 70 80 years worth of batman chronology 
with many, many different incarnations. And but Batman has gone through so many um, uh, you know, different people's perspectives and so many different cultural uh, overhauls that it's Im- it's impossible to get a definite version of Batman that everyone can see. However, they have come damn close to getting the version of Batman that everyone thinks, you know, you look at him, you listen to him, and you go, yeah, that's Batman. Absolutely, most definitely. That is exactly how I would imagine him. More so, po- not even possibly, more so than Christopher Nolan. They handle Batman better in this game than Nolan handles Batman in the Batman films. And that is not... I'm not saying that lightly. Nolan handles Bruce Wayne much better in those films. They don't even mention Bruce Wayne in in this game. You are Batman through and through. There's none of that mm-hmm. sort of uh, you know, character um, having to sort of work out, you know, what Batman is to you in that character. It is all about being Batman. And um, they got Kevin Conroy, who is, uh, you know, probably played Batman, well, probably has played Batman more than anyone else, uh, you know, alumni of the animated series. Um, now knows the character more than anyone on the planet, probably, and can just lapse into that voice whenever he feels like it. And they got Mark Hamill to do the Joker because there is no possible way you can follow up on Heath Ledger unless you go back to the person who's played, again, the Joker more than anyone else. And screw Jack Nicholson, this Joker, aside from... <laughs> I still prefer Heath Ledger's Joker because he's more understated and he's, he's explosive on film. But this Mark Hamill Joker is the Joker as he has always been. And as he always should be. But again, they've got the best Batman, the best Joker, and everything else around them kind of just blends in. And you, you are convinced of those two so fully that uh, it, it just, the rest of it is, just becomes part of the tapestry. You know so I mean. does does Arkham Asylum actually exist any you know, within the comic book structures? Oh, absolutely. The Arkham's been around for for donkeys years. It even it featured in almost every Batman film in in little bits at the very end of uh, Batman Forever. You know that one that Paul likes because of Nicole Kidman. <laughs> um, uh, Riddler ends up in Arkham at the end of Batman and Robin. Uh, Poison Ivy and Mister Freeze end up in Arkham together as roommates. Um, oh. And obviously Joker gets sent off to Arkham at the end of this one. And um, oh, uh, just in case you hadn't noticed, Arkham is where all of that stuff with the Scarecrow happens in uh, Batman Begins. Arkham runs through the Batman universe, but this specifically, it's most famous for the Grant Morrison graphic novel Arkham Asylum. In no way connected to this, where Batman goes to uh, Arkham, where while well, the Joker's causing a riot, and basically all of his old rogues gallery have got out. Now it's it's similar in. Some aspects, but that's a much more psychological book. It's basically Batman's journey, scrabbling through the, uh, the 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 halls of Arkham. There's a lot less action, a lot less straightforward punch-ups, and it's a lot less suitable for kids. I mean, this is grim and grisly, but there's bits where the, the Joker really goes over the top in the, the Morrison version. It's it's too dark. It's really strange, and it's difficult to really get your head round. And it's, it's done in that really kind of scratchy, horrible, painterly style. I can't remember who the actual artist is. This takes quite a bit from that, but makes it much more... It's actually closer in tone to Hush, which I have said time and again, everybody should read Hush. If you like Batman, especially if you like At Markham Asylum, it is the gathering together of his rogues gallery properly for an epic mystery where everyone plays a small part in it. But what I have to say is, it was an ingenious idea to use this as a game. Rather yeah, than just probably. this massive storyline, it was this, how can Joker, well, how can, um, Joker and, you know, uh, would it be spoilers to give away some of the bosses you come up against within this game? Um, we I don't can say a few, is. I think. 
Well, Scarecrow's in ones there. That tu- I tell you what, ones that turn up at the beginning of the game are pretty much fair game. Okay, so what, Killer Croc? Killer Croc does turn up in the first few minutes, yes. I've already given away Scarecrow. Um, no, <laughs> I wouldn't say many more after that. but uh, Okay, there, there is villains within this game. and it's a, Not it's every a, single one of his villains by any means, but they reference pretty much every single one of his villains with cunning little asides and mentions and audio files, again, kind of like Bioshock. Yeah. But so I actually think it's a very, very clever place to actually hold this because it gives justifications why you're up against all these different peoples, why all these people would be within the same place. Mm. I mean, let's face it, there's certain people that really probably shouldn't be in the same place as other people. But it also lends itself to why the island itself is segregated into these four separate main hub areas, Mm. because obviously they want to keep certain very, very big, well-known criminals um, apart from each other and mm. in certain areas makes sense why that's, they're kept there. So for, as a gameplay mechanic, I think that using the island was a fantastic idea because it actually just falls perfectly into um, traditional kind of gameplay styles. And like I say, it reminds me very much of Bioshock in that kind of little areas where you do need it on occasions to backtrack between, you know, different, you know, from, if I say certain places, then that's probably going to give away some Yeah, I'll leave spoilers, it as but uh, it's, um, it's, it's very much Arkham itself becomes a character in the same way as Middle Earth yeah. does in Lord of the Rings, Hogwarts does in Harry Potter, and uh, indeed uh, the uh, Rapture does in Bioshock. It becomes the, the main character you interact with in the game, which but, sounds ridiculously pretentious to say, but it's true. So, Rocksteady have also come out, and I, I think this is an ingenious thing when you think about it. You know, they, when, they, when they were looking into producing something of really high production values, they talked about how the Spider-Man guys in, in the past have, have, and Superman guys, have, how they're talking about building these huge cities and you know, taking mm. so much resources for that, because then you've got to populate it with you know, the everyday people and, yeah. and all this different stuff. And of course, all this takes massive strain on the engine before you actually get around to just the combat of whatever person you know say it be spider-man or superman himself yeah and by doing it setting in this one very kind of semi-realistic place um you can use the unreal engine uh, the epic engine is it uh, yeah epic uh it uses the unreal engine but it's epic games isn't it yeah Okay, no, it use, yeah, uses the engine to its fullest, so it doesn't have to do these massive draw distances all the time. It can just be done you know, within these beautifully rendered places. Mm. So it, it gives it real character, and it gives it the actual gameplay to start taking the precedence necessary rather than just it being a huge, massive technical nightmare for a developer to actually grasp. talked about some of the gameplay elements so I think probably we should move Let's on to that, do next. that yeah okay right there's two main gameplay elements let's face it fighting and sneaking right and well I'd say there's three in there as well I'd yeah. say the, uh, I would say there's riddle solving as well uh, yeah okay fine okay right so I'll tell you what fighting and exploration oh no fighting evasion exploration I think uh, they've, yeah. they've described it as predatory gameplay. So basically, the idea is you uh, avoid big brawls and you sneak up on single guys 
you you take out one of them and then you get away before the other guys come and then you take you well, split them up and then get them scared and then take them out individually. But then again, it does throw you into completely random rules you can't escape from sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, what, it, what it does in claim, gameplay is actually very clever. It never sits on one thing for too long. So you do have random rules. So you have these, you know, say 10 guys mm. and it's all to do with a combo system of how you take these guys out and then you know after that's just feeling like okay i've probably had enough of that they they quickly put you into another scenario so now it could be you know the the kind of metal gear solid inspired stealth takedowns and once you've kind of like all right well i've, I've spent like 20 minutes doing this they go what you now need to find out the riddle to kind of unlock this area so it, they're constantly throwing new stuff up to you all the time. So normally what would happen in a game like this, certainly a, 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 a comic book or a movie licensed tie-in game, it would just be, right, it's the 3D brawler. Let's go from A to B, 3D, you know, bash, 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 six hours later, story complete, and really you didn't enjoy it very much other than just seeing the characters that you've recently seen on screen or seen in a comic book, and that was that. Uh, and by actually separating for three very different experiences, it keeps the the flow of it moving all the time mm. it's a very driven game you always feel compelled to get to the next area as fast as possible and you it's all contained in one night so it just feels like the worst night of batman's life and he's being flung <laughs> from one area to the next but um the fighting mechanics alone very resplendent of the punch-ups in the nolan films because mm-hmm. um it's very economical he uses elbows and fists and knees and head and it's it's similar to kc the martial art that was pioneered for that particular film very quickly you realize it's there's only really a few moves that you can do you can do your basic attack which can you know be turned into a couple of different combos uh you can do a a counter which was whenever dudes do like spider sense thing um and you can do like a stun move which you only really need to do on like one or two different enemies and uh is that about it oh you can you can evade yeah, I mean, the trick to it, it, actually I didn't really find this out late, until very late in the game, is that it, it's really all about the linking of the combos. Like It's um, it's not mashing the button. I mean, it's very much about I'm going to take you out next, you out next. And if you can actually build up a bigger combo meter and by the you, you unlock certain abilities, but uh, pretty quickly on you can work out that you can actually, because you don't actually kill anyone in this game, but you can suffocate guys in like an instant combo uh, move so you can really work out in the end okay I just want to take out the easy guys here which is going to lead it to a higher combo which means then I can take out you know the, maybe the red guy that can only be melded first before he can be uh, taken down or a guy of a taser so there is actually quite a deep little system going on there but as we found out at the MCM show if you remember that it it is a lot of uh, a lot of show for not a lot of input which not, isn't necessarily a bad thing because it, moving on to the, the next kind of style of uh, the fighting system, which is the stealth gameplay, I think that's really deep, a lot deeper than what I was actually expecting. Yeah, I mean, you could. It's um, it's most enforced stealth sections in games really drive me crazy, but yep. in this, uh, most cases it's optional, and uh, the cases where it is enforced, not too ridiculously punitive. I think there was only one bit I had to repeat a couple of times, but um, it's it's kind of a joy because you. There, you're pretty damn stealthy in this game. There were times when I actually walked along side by side with one guy who was looking over to in one direction, but I was keeping very quiet and I managed to walk right behind him and uh, and then up a ladder because there comes a time when you can't even take guys out because they're wearing collars and it'll alert the other guys. Um, 
But yeah, no, the the swinging around on the rooftops or uh, between gargoyles is very smooth, and it, you genuinely feel in control of the situation, and you that you just really do feel like Batman. And yeah. when you've got detective vision on specifically, uh, it allows you to sort of analyze the area perfectly and take your time, yeah. take the guys out, and at the same time you you end up being very fast and fluid anyway, so it doesn't feel like you're waiting too long. I think we we actually should really address detective vision as well. I mean, we didn't talk about that in in the uh, in the graphics, but it it plays a huge part on it, and, and basically it's just. On the 360, isn't it? You bash the, the right bumper. Oh, yeah. Oh, left. Um, left bumper. And I take photos. Whatever. You, you bash one of the, the, the bumpers on it. Um, and it brings you into a world of what is basically Batman vision. So he can see through walls. He can see heartbeat. But it, it actually plays into a bigger role than that. Because he can actually... He uses it... Is basically his, his bat sense. He can look at different guys uh, walking around. Can you can as you taking out more and more guys, you can see the guys' heartbeats starting to increase, and it tells you whether they're starting to become nervous, or uh, agitated. Yeah, by by the end of it, if they're the final one, you've taken out like six guys before them. They're terrified, and you can actually get all this stuff is being fed back to you. you can, so they're basically becoming really, really that they're looking around everywhere, and it becomes harder and harder to take them out stealthily. Although they um, never really look up. <laughs> For a guy who usually tends to hang around the rafters, you'd think they'd start doing that. But I mean, and, and <laughs> towards towards the back end of the game, you can start to see walls that you can take out with your gadgets. Um, different areas where if you put like you know spray down, you can actually blow blow people up and lead them into traps. And it becomes a very very uh, almost part of the game where a lot of people I think probably would run through the entire game with just detective vision on so you're, it's, you've just seen a weird version of the game of people in these skeleton um, po- postures rather than the beautiful gra- graphics it's passing on to you well yeah Leah from some other castle actually asked I think it was or maybe Edie um, is there any reason not to just leave detective <laughs> mode on the whole time sometimes it takes it off for you so you can see certain cutscenes in all seriousness, for, for atmosphere, although it will help you to keep it on most of the time, I kind of like looking at what the, the game offers up anyway. I think the reason to leave it off as well is to, is to yeah, soak up that atmosphere and actually use it when it's required. So going back to the, the stealth, um, they're not killing because he only ever suffocates. So the stealth, yeah, the stealth takedown stuff. It leads you into scenarios like, okay, there's a guy over the, um, behind that wall there, so I can't really go walking across that front door. Um, and it it leads into these huge, fantastic, different set pieces scenarios that you can actually build up because you can see basically the whole playing field. Something that Metal Gear Solid doesn't really do. I mean, mm. it's a different game, but it's very much like, well, I don't know necessarily what I'm going to be walking if I come around this corner at any second now. And some may actually say it's cheating. I actually think it's a, a very clever game mechanic because towards the end. Um, there's some really hard sections in there, and you yeah. and with the gadgets that you end up getting, so it's you have that sonic device. You can lure people away from different people, and uh, I actually doing certain things where I'd lure someone into an area because I know their collar would go off, yeah. and because their collar would go off, it would bring half the other force off, which would lead me to actually move into the areas they were and set up booby traps for their patrols to go back in. So it becomes a real nice complex scenario. But this is actually way, way deeply into the whole Batman role-playing thing, because you're playing Batman. There is no way Batman would blunder into a room and go, oh, shit, I've been punked, and get the shit kicked out of him by a bunch of guards. 
he would actually genuinely be in the rafters taking stock of everything and yeah. it's it's how he always reacts in the movie he always seems to be four or five steps ahead of everyone and the joker always seems to be one or two steps ahead of him but that's that that's perfectly represented in this game it, it really captures the character like no other superhero uh, or oh, sorry even just comic book um game has ever done and i'm yeah. just really you know proud of that one for, for because game, guns in this game pretty much in, equal death if you get yeah. caught by somebody yeah. firing a gun so you it, there's a good chance there's at least a 50 percent chance that you're not going to make it into the top of the rafters because you're going to get shot by enough people mm. and that's the way it should be you should be paranoid against these you know these these goons i guess and just take, and it's so much fun to take them down stealthily. Yeah. But also, I want to touch on his gadgets as well because well, criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. But every little bit of this game, the reason I think I fell in love with it quite as much is because it's also it all makes sense within his universe. So you don't have completely over the top gadgets. I guess you could say well, say his vision is maybe a very over the top gadget. But it's based hey, on sonar, and they actually went into sonar. it in the, uh, the the Nolan film. It's uh, that that was kind of utilising every cell phone in the city, but they uh, at the same time that the, mm-hmm. the, the the mechanics were there. But it's it's basically that in uh, in Dark Knight. But yeah, his um, but his normal set of gadgets is basically just what the batarang, um, some spray gel, which can you know basically you can set off as a, a, a mine, or people can walk into it and detonate themselves. Always or useful grappling gun. I the grappling gun, which you know towards later in the game you can it, it becomes very very handy of pulling down walls, uh, and then you have like the zip line to get into different uh, areas which you couldn't access before, which brings me into its very shadow complexy nature. Yeah. Which, as I said to you, as I started playing, I don't know why I need to play Shadow Complex at the moment because you know you've just played a much bigger, more 3D version of it. I see what you mean. It's, yeah, somewhat. Yeah. I, I will say Shadow Complex for me was a bit more fun. Batman was a bit more taxing, and, and at times actually made me cry out in in frustration but oh. more on that in a bit but um yeah before we get on to that I oh by the way when i got that zip line which basically allows you to go from one parallel wall to the other the next i went mm-hmm. where did he get these wonderful toys because <laughs> it was that one carry on <laughs> but uh, we, we have to just say about all the, the different collectibles there's like 256 collectibles or so in this world um there's interview tapes so it's like you you fully find out the kind of harley quinn story um and uh the more and more that you collect you find out how joker actually kind of set this whole uh scheme going uh within the actual organization being captured himself. Some crucial insight into the people without them standing in front of you telling you no i will explain my entire plan which is great because it's yeah, batman it's, doing detective work but yeah but the, the way that the interview tapes are done they are literally interviews as they've been captured and, and brought into the asylum so it's it, the doctor's trying to get into the psyche of him and it becomes basically drip feeding of how all this stuff actually happened into this grand plan so you can you can deep you can explore deeper into this the whole mythology of Arkham Asylum, or you can leave it with one B and just play it as like a three D B if you don't care. Um, so it's a it's a fantastic way of doing it. Like I say, it works so very well in Bioshock, and it works brilliantly here. And there's some fantastic stuff actually to do with Arkham Asylum itself. The actual uh, the like little tombs you actually find it from the, the story of how Arkham Asylum became the prison it, it was, and all the troubles that really you know it, it 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 itself has become into this living character that is almost out of control. Yeah. So that that's very very good, and and once you've beaten the game, you can actually go back and and explore the world uh, freely without actually any combat taking place, and you can actually. I just think hunt that's down been mentioned enough times for that not to be a spoiler, really. Now. 
In yeah, the- I think so. Yeah, um, and you want to go back to this world because it's a fantastic place to actually just all just to continue playing and uh, and finding all these nooks and crannies. Riddles. Let's uh, talk about that in the spoiler section now. Right. Um. Last bit before we go on to the uh, the spoiler section. Um. Music and sound. Very, very atmospheric. They've, they've really, there are elements of the, uh, Hans Zimmer and, um, James Newton Howard score from, uh, the Nolan Batman films, and they're kind of. We, again, very atmospheric, sound very atmospheric, and every time those bats swarm around you, you just feel, yes, I am the knight. And, um, yeah, yeah, really complete polished package. I know people. Some people hate the term polished, but it is. Um, but anything else before we go to spoilers? Well, I, I think we can we can actually do a lot of this stuff before we go into spoilers. I'd actually want to say that I don't think it's a perfect game. Um, yeah, as much yeah. as it, you know, I've been falling over it for the last half an hour. Um, I think if you look at it from a, a game point of view, it does trip over itself sometimes. Um, Sometimes the, the just the normal beat 'em up the goon sections become a bit wearisome, as, as though they are quick to kind of move on to different stuff. I kind of by the end of it, I was like, yeah, not you guys again. And there's normally that, reasons for them to be there, but uh, they all look the same basically. Yeah. You're only fighting three guys. Kind of gets a bit repetitive. Um, repetitive is another problem. With the game, the game isn't a short game. It clocks in around about the twelve hour mark. Mm. Um, couldn't help a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help a feeling that maybe they were overstretching it somewhat. Um, there's some set piece scenarios which we'll cover in the spoiler section if you're interested, but they kind of overdo them. Um, I don't think they make the most of some of the the assets that they have on occasions. Um, I think yeah, it's a shame to see, but it, it's not all perfect in in that area. Um, but apart from that, I, I oh think no, we've got to say the last bit because this is not a spoiler at all. The last boss sucks badly. <laughs> boss it will make you cry and scream and wonder why the difficulty curve has shot up for no reason at all. Yes, and you'll check Alex, to see that you haven't accidentally popped it into hard. Both Alex and me found this that the game up to up until the very end. I mean, I had a little trouble with the room before Alex had the trouble with the final bit. Um, is pretty much. Very, I mean, I'm gonna say very easy, but you know, no real difficulty. You probably, I'd probably die. You won't a couple sweat times it. You won't being, get angry yeah. particularly. There'll be a few times you're like, oh, for God's sake. But, but you, you have the, the the cheating bastard boss battle. It's stuff just, at the it's, end again. We don't need it anymore. This needs to stop. Yeah, uh, we're not going to over egg that one, but uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. Deal with this, please now. I just patch it if nothing so, else. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> They'll never change it, but you know, we can dream. So, so for those people that aren't going to jump onto the spoiler section, I I just want to say I think it's an absolutely fantastic game. Would you buy it? Would you consider? I, I didn't buy it. I rented it. Um, I certainly got the hours out of it. I I probably put in the region of thirty plus hours into it now. Because um, I haven't talked about there's challenge rooms and different stuff. You know, little side things which you can mess around with. Um, I'd say for thirty quid I'd buy it, or I would have bought it, and it would have been absolutely worth every penny. Think- yeah, I think. Maybe we're slightly different than the, the average consumer. Uh, well, we have so many damn games to play. So yeah. But if you're looking for an absolute solid single player, and thank God 
they didn't feel the need to do any multiplayer of any kind. Yeah. They did this single player. I don't know how this will continue into a sequel because I am fairly certain they're going to try to bring it to our, uh, to uh, Gotham Island itself, and then it'll be like. See, that's that's how bad it will be because the the brilliance of this game is that it's kept contained. Mm. You start you start bringing it out and. Uh, but it's the infamous an entirely different engine, so I don't know. Even, uh, the, the best bet they could actually have is make it yeah, once again a fairly corridor-based uh, section, so that you're you're kept within a very certain kind of place and not really allowed to go too far. But I I, I would not envy the task of actually bringing Gotham to life in the same way because it's it would be so huge. By by being different and by being very very clever with this title, I I'm not too sure that they they've allowed themselves room to move away from this. But I'm not a game developer, so if they can come up with something very similar, oh, I'm this, excited about the idea. I think yeah, I I think I, but as I said before, I think I just have put a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money behind this, so I can't imagine they foresaw it as a one a one hit wonder series. Um, but it is, it's it's lovely to see such effort being poured into yeah. a uh, a license for once, rather than just we make the money off the back of the name. Where you know they've made the money from the back of the name quite clearly, at the same time produce an absolutely fantastic product, which is a very rare thing to say and should be an example out for all the other game developers out there looking at this. Uh, not to, I don't think a lot of it comes down to the game developers. I think a lot of it comes down to the game publishers yeah. knowing what they can put in and what they can get out and hopefully this bucks the trend because uh, I think it's a thoroughly enjoyable experience. I'd say also the unsung hero of the show and the, one of the best decisions they made on the development team was getting Paul Dini to write. This man has written and written and written for Batman the Animated Series. I don't know if he did Superman, but he definitely did some of Justice League as well. He's written for Bruce Tim and all of his productions, and this guy knows his Batman. And he keeps back it dark. And it, yeah, totally. He had his, his eyes on exactly... He knew exactly what they needed to bring out. Now, the, the voice acting isn't fantastic. The script itself isn't like, oh my God, this is you know rivals the Nolan films. It doesn't. But as a straightforward Batman game, blows everything else out of the water these people know basically it's really good to feel that they know Batman more than you do and there'll be very few people out there who know Batman mm. more than uh, Paul Dini so um, absolutely spot on get that bloke a medal right do we need spoilers yeah. do we need spoilers okay. let's do some spoiler music and we will be back after this <laughs> Returning cast from the animated series, just so you guys know, are uh, uh, Batman, played by Kevin Conroy, Joker, played by Mark Hamill, and Harley Quinn, played by Arlene Sorkin. That's it. Everyone else has got a new voice. And it makes perfect sense, because the Scarecrow in the animated series was very sort of, Oh, hello, Batman. I shall make you fear this place. Uh, whereas this one, in, it was much closer to the um, Scarecrow in uh, the Nolan films. Once again, they've taken so much... Uh, 
you know, of, an, of, a, of a jumping off point from Nolan, but also specifically from the Frank Miller Batmans and uh, the aforementioned Hush and all the other Jeff Loeb ones. The, the, the long Halloween also se- seems to sort of kind of take a play on this. Um, so I, what do you feel the need to spoil? What? Okay, right, Killer Croc is in this game. Now, what did you think of the Killer Croc section? Because I, I loved it to begin with, and by the end I was a bit kind of, oh, I just want to get out of here. But it was so nerve-wracking for some of it, because I was like, oh, oh my God, because like, you can't run, because otherwise Croc will leap out of the water and fucking kill you. My, my honest opinion is I think pretty much all of the boss encounters were somewhat of a disappointment. Um, first no, Scarecrow was great second Scarecrow well, not so much third yeah, Scarecrow now they're just taking the piss yeah let me justify this Is the Scarecrow section was a prime example the first time I did it I was like oh look the ad say a little 2D oh, that's, that's clever oh I like that and I feel nice. freaky and it was actually the bit before there it's the lead up to the Scarecrow stuff within the world where you know you're not sure oh, well, yeah, you when you're, you're sort of walking yeah. sideways through the, yeah, uh, thing. Through the room. Yeah, and then so, you get, open up the body bags and it's your parents and then there's that bit the third Scarecrow bit where oh, the, the second one where they screw with your head and put you back in your parents' murder that was excellent and I would have yeah. I really wish they combined that with the first Scarecrow bit and I really wish they'd I'm very glad they did the bit where you basically your game freaks out and you go back to the beginning and it's um, you're being submitted to uh, Arkham as yeah, well. Like, oh my god, what the hell! <clears throat> but they didn't I, need to follow it with yet another sort of scarecrow platform section. That, that stuff could have been organised a hell of a lot better. And I think time I got the third one, I was like, really? Not not enough? I, it goes back to my saying. I think the game maybe is a tad too long. I think they they kept on trying to push these things. Killer Crop was another fine example. I kind of like the idea of it. I would have liked to kind of have some sort of battle with him in the end because you don't really, other than throwing a boomerang 30 times. Um, uh, in all Batman. seriousness, Batman versus Killer Croc without any kind of careful booby yeah, trapping would not last long, at least in that way. He'd but then in, in that sense, all Killer Croc kept doing was jumping from the water, throw the batarang at him on his head. I'm like, yeah, do that you was not repetitive. get it? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> after 25 minutes of me doing the same thing, but it's it accurate. Croc is an idiot in the <laughs> comics. He, he would just keep coming up for the same thing. But it, it just draws itself out. I, 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 I didn't. Just, I was like, oh, by the end of it, I just ended up not liking that battle when from liking it at the start. It's a shame because I really love that bit. Um, the poison ivy battle. Oh. That was one of those ones where I just turned off the sound, listened to some music, and just kept running left and right and chucking batarangs. That's ah uh, yes, just, yeah, that one. Once again, over kind of ebbed. It's that you got to go down three times when you're going to be a pain in the ass. Why the three times? Time Why ever. not four? Why not two? Always three. Uh, you're gonna go down three times, so and, and then they get, you know she throws seed pods at you, and then occasionally she'll mm-hmm. throw loads of seed pods at you, and they all kill you. Ah, um, the whole idea of Batman having uh, energy pissed me off sometimes in this game. It was like <laughs> I'd almost beaten them, and if it had a Halo-style regenerating energy, no problem. But it's like he had like a shred of energy left, and there, there was no, there's sometimes no way you can get through these encounters without getting a bit of damage. So it just you know punked. I got punked. Several times on the last Joker fight, which is really, really unfair. Um, and again, I'm not going to really spoil it too much, just in case people are listening to this and haven't got to it. But there's not really much to spoil. It's a ridiculous You're in the section. What do you expect? Oh, well, it's, a, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous fight. You've got to fight all these henchmen in wave after wave after wave. And if you don't have every single one sorted and down, and you don't take that very small window between when they're down and then the next wave gets sent in to drag the Joker down and punch his lights out, um, then 
it starts all over again. You get another wave. Now, I, I so many times I cleared the floor and I was fine. I was pulling him down. Then someone came up and like gave me a little love tap and went, eh. and then Batman went, oh no, so, I'm dying. So yeah, I mean, not I gave favorite, up. No, so, fuck that. Cheating bastard, uh, emboss. I actually had a trouble before the that section. I, in reality, I think I did it on the third go, but I think I was just pissed off, mm. just even hitting this massive sp- uh, spike where there lots of goons in the room, and then it was the is it the Titans? It's not the Titans. Yeah, there were Titans. This is the one yeah. before that. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one I actually had. I mean, like I say, the, the final one I, I didn't find too hard. It was the the one before that, which is strange because you seem to be at that one through fine. But it actually led me to throw the controller across the room on the second attempt because I was like, this is just, it's it's just a bollocks. And once again, it's the end bit bollocks scenario that we've come up and, and faced, and it spoils because at, at that point, you know. Apart from my little bits with the game, as like as I said, the re- repetitive bot sections, I think you know it was otherwise an absolutely it. fantastic yeah. game, and it just it made me almost want to just put it down and never play it again. Why yeah. do they keep doing this? As I've said many times before, this ridiculously hard end boss dates back to the arcades when they wanted your quarters. We've paid for the game. Don't make it that hard on purpose. Give us yeah. a restart point, for God's sake. I think it, it, if, I think that the upsetting thing, it makes it feel more gamey than it, it needed to be because, you know, you're so engrossed as well for so long. Yeah. Um, when you come up against the boss sections and when you come up against this final boss, it just brings it back to all the game conventions that we have and it shows that really it, it's no different than every other fucking game out there. And, uh, I guess that just annoyed me. Maybe more than it should have done because once I, once I beat the game and, and actually spent time exploring the world and, and doing that stuff, you could see the love and dedication that's been poured into every ounce of this product. Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm not gonna, you know, I'm, I, I was kind of pissed off with it at one point and like, oh, it's not, it's nowhere near as good as everyone's saying and it's not game of the year, but reality is when you go back and look at the games I've played this year, it's certainly up in the top two or three this year because it's, it's quite frankly a fantastic, um, achievement for both the team and IDOS as producing the stuff. To me, it's not as good as Beatles Rock Band because that really blew me away more on that next week, but, um, mm. It's one of the best games I've played in a hell of a long time. If it hadn't been for that final ridiculous, retarded boss section, it would be an absolute five-star straight off. As it is, I give it a flawed five. Yeah, uh, I'm no, thinking... A watch out. Yeah, yeah I, I still give it a five. I, I was close to giving it a four, but I was like, seriously, that's just being uh, petty on some of yeah. these, you know, some of these bits of just... You know, there, were, there were 50 games testers for this thing and not one of them picked up on the fact that that last boss was ridiculous <laughs> they, they, clearly they'd just been playing it forever and they were like they perfectly mastered the combo system the problem is there are these guys with the knives and the guys with the stun buttons that can't be blocked and it's like just ridiculously anal anyway let's uh, let's leave these fine people yeah, uh, let's, let's wrap this one up oh and the, the one last thing today. do you think it's a bit weird that um, Batman rendered with the Unreal Engine comes out uh, on, in uh, Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe last Christmas and then this one comes out this year it's like no Batman with Unreal and then basically his fighting style is almost exactly the same he looks almost exactly the same which came first? I think or the egg. I think this came first and then basically when they were thinking about making one they were like right okay have a look at this Batman and, oh that's great can we have that in our game? yeah sure do you want the Unreal Engine? yeah sure right we'll pay you this much for it and they basically took that Batman asset and put him in Mortal Kombat vs. DC. It's a completely different publisher, so yeah, probably, just, just, probably didn't happen like that. <laughs> you explain it then. <laughs> okay, well, one of the... The Engine makes beefy characters and thus makes a beefy Batman. That's we true. Can't do much more do you know what we need on this particular case? Batman. 
Set sail with the Married Gamers. I'm Chris Brown, your captain and friendly host, joined every week by my vivacious cruise director, Kelly Brown. Yes, join us weekly for scintillating conversations about video games from a married perspective. You don't have to be married to listen, but you'll never know who you'll meet on this cruise. So pack your bags and come aboard. Okay, we are back for the very, very end of the show. Now... Two and a half years ago, in April 2007, before Digital Cowboys, I was a guest host for a few episodes on a podcast called Joiny Radio. It was basically my training at doing my own podcast, although I didn't know it at the time. I just wanted to thank the producer of that show, Matt Fowler, for starting me off, teaching me how to host, how to edit, how to upload a show. If it wasn't for him, I might not be talking to you guys right now. Or maybe someone else would have taught me. But either way, it was awesome <laughs> to be taught by him at that particular time and to bring about Digital Cowboys as a result of it. Now, tonight... Our end music is a tune that played in at about 11 minutes into the show, episode 21, all the way back on in April 2007. Um, joining the radio. Or Joining the radio. Uh, I'm going to put a link to it in the um, in the notes, or at least just a, a way to get hold of it on iTunes, if you want to listen to me being very, very unprofessional and very young. Um, but uh, this tune just happens to have come out on the Rock Band store last week. And coincidentally, Tony, Liz, Paul and myself just saw the artist himself live in concert at PAX and indeed interviewed him along with Edie Sellers. It's a song about office politics and zombies. This is Jonathan Coulton with Re Your Brains in honour of Matt Fowler and Joiny Radio. And next week we have the guys from Big Bread Potion in, an alarmingly insightful gaming podcast. And they'll be on the show talking about a variety of subjects. In the meantime, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. I'm Daniel Floyd. Thank you once again, Dan, for coming on. You've been awesome. And this is Read Your Brains by Jonathan Coulton. Happy trails. Hey, you, Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. I really wish you'd let us in. I speak for all of us when I say I understand why you folks might hesitate to submit to our demand. But here's an FYI, you're all gonna die screaming. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're not unreasonable, I mean no one's gonna eat your eyes. If you open up the doors, we'll all come inside and eat your brains. I don't want to nitpick, Tom, but is this really your plan? Spend your whole life locked inside a mall. Maybe that's okay for now, but someday you'll be out of and you'll have to make the call I'm not surprised to see you haven't thought it through enough You never had
the head for all that bigger picture stuff. But Tom, that's what I do, and I plan on eating you slowly. your eyes Maybe we should compromise. 